Welcome back to this week's episode. Afif, you are joined with a guest today, so tell us all about it. Yes, today is one of our special guests episode and I'm really delighted to introduce Laura Dowling for our interview today. So Laura is a qualified pharmacist and scientist. She graduated from Trinity College in 2002 and she has over 20 years experience working on the front line in community pharmacy. Laura last year was actually awarded the prestigious 2022 Pharmacist of the Year Award. You may know Laura from her online presence. She is known as the Fabulous Pharmacist, where her Instagram channel is dedicated to sharing relatable and passionate advice about health, well-being, family, and self-care. She uses her online platform, which has over 70,000 followers, to help people live a balanced, sustainable, and healthy lifestyle. Laura is a frequent contributor to Irish media and appears regularly on TV, print and radio. And if that's not enough, she's also the founder and CEO and the chief scientist of FabU, which is a unique new range of nutritional supplements formulated and developed by Laura herself. They are available online at fabuwellness.com and at pharmacies and health food stores nationwide. So Laura, thank you so much for joining me. I am actually absolutely honoured and delighted to have you here with me. I feel like you are everywhere at the moment, on, oh. on TV, on radio, on Instagram. So I thought I'd get you in into my podcast before you get super famous. Oh, and, I don't think I'll ever. <laughs> and unreachable. So really, really delighted to have you here. Um, I asked you to come on because I think you speak a lot of sense and you don't hold back. And being a pharmacist and being a huge breastfeeding advocate, I thought it'd be a nice thing to actually talk about um, medication during breastfeeding and really try and debunk a lot of the misconceptions um, that are out there. Mm -hmm. The one thing that struck me is when we first met via the kind of bias science week, when we did the live Instagram live on this topic, the amount of questions that we got were huge. And I thought it'll be nice to revisit that in the podcast and try and um, expand a little bit more on medication and pregnancy. And I think it's important because if you look at the data, 80% of women in Ireland actually intend to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. But the big um, unfortunate thing is that by discharge, so in only three to four days, only 30 to 40% of mums leave the hospital exclusively breastfeeding. And that's the 30 to 40% of the original 80%. And by six months of age, only about 10 to 15% of mums are exclusively breastfeeding. Now, I know there are a lot of reasons for that, but I am pretty confident that one of the reasons responsible for the drop-off is the misconceptions around medication consumption and breastfeeding. So as a breastfeeding mum yourself, did you come across any challenges specifically in relation to information regarding medication and breastfeeding? Uh, I did. There was none out there. So I'm lucky. My breastfeeding journey with my three boys was was great because I come from a family of breastfeeders. And I think that's really important to say that from the outset, because I think that we're really good in this country at telling women what they should do, but we're not necessarily great at giving them support around this, particularly with breastfeeding. You know, women know that breastfeeding is very good for them and their babies, but it's a marathon sport. I've always said it. And it takes tenacity and it takes the re- the will to really want to do it. And then it also takes family support. So, and then it also takes support from the community. So your question was in relation to 
medication and absolutely. So I gave birth to my first little boy 14 and a half years ago and there's very little information out there about breastfeeding and medications and there's still very little information out there for the wider public. So I would have experienced in my practice women coming in after being discharged from the ED with an antibiotic, very upset because the doctor there told them they couldn't breastfeed their baby while just on a simple amoxicillin. So that's the healthcare practitioner not giving them the correct advice. And then how is the woman supposed to know what to do? So absolutely, there's little information. I think healthcare professionals, pharmacists, nurses, doctors don't know where to find the information. And then also they are a little bit scared too to say this is okay because of the fear of litigation. Because as you and I both know, manufacturers are not obliged to do breastfeeding studies. It's unethical to do breastfeeding studies. So on a lot of the patient information leaflets, it will either say, do not take on breastfeeding or it'll say, consult your doctor or pharmacist if you're breastfeeding. So that then puts the onus on the doctor or pharmacist to give you the advice. And then the if the, if anything did happen, the responsibility lies with them. So I can ple- completely get it from the healthcare practitioner's point of view. But I think that we need to really come a lot further with the information that we can give our mums. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's becoming a more more and more relevant problem because mums are getting pregnant at an older age now. They may have a lot of other illnesses that they may need to take medication for during their pregnancy and also while they're breastfeeding. The problem is, as you said, the onus has shifted from the drug manufacturers from actually doing systematic research into the matter onto the healthcare providers who are supposed to find information that a lot of the time does not exist. Yes. So... I find in practice that we actually then have to break it down to try and learn about the properties of the drug. And when there is no information out there on, you know, how much exposure the baby's getting from a particular medication that the mom is taking, that if we learn about how the drug behaves in the body and how the body handles the drug, then we can come up with um, good recommendations for the mother. Um, I think drug manufacturers generally buy default discourage um, breastfeeding mothers from taking their medication because, like you said, there is no research in that population. And it is very difficult to do Mm -hmm. research in, um, you know, when it comes to mom and baby because of the fear um, that it may affect the baby in an adverse way. So, I mean, as a pharmacist, do you think that knowledge of the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of a drug is important. And maybe you can explain to the listeners what what pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics means. Yes. So pharmacokinetics is the way that the drug will work in the body and how it will be distributed in the body. And with drugs, it's really very simple if we bring it down really to the base level. So drugs can either be protein bound or or not. And whether or not it's protein bound determines whether or not it's um, it goes into the milk easily or not. By a general rule, only about 1% of a drug will be absorbed into the breast milk anyway. So, and even off that 1%, the amount that gets into the baby it could and could possibly, you know, work within the baby system it, it is less again. So absolutely, it's really important to know how the drug works. But what I use as a reference point is the, the, the breastfeeding network fax sheets. So that was actually done or, or um, found founded by uh, Dr. Wendy Jones. She's a pharmacist herself and, and a breastfeeding advocate. And when she was breastfeeding her babies, she was you know, horrified at the lack of information about breastfeeding 
and medications. So she decided to build up her own drugs fact sheets about drugs. And this was done on years and years of, I suppose, anecdotal, but also evidence based gathering of information about what drugs can be used in, in breastfeeding and in, in pregnancy as well um, that can be used safely for the baby. Even simple things like SSRIs. So women that have depression or anxiety can safely breastfeed their baby if they're given the correct antidepressant when they're doing it. So sertraline would be the one or lustral. People may be more familiar with that name. And it's safe to use in, in breastfeeding and it has been proven to be but it's about finding that information. But absolutely, it's important to know about the drugs and the drug's properties, how it's distributed in the body, how it's eliminated, the half-life of the drug. So if the half-life is short, it's generally considered to be safer to use in pregnancy than, than a longer half-life, whether it's protein-bound, whether it's fat-bound. So all of those things are really important. Yeah. And one interesting dichotomy that I've come across in my, in my practice is a lot of the time, there is no problem in giving a pregnant mother a certain medication. Yet the minute the baby's delivered and the mother wants to breastfeed, then the same medication is contraindicated. And antibiotics would be a case in point. I mean, a lot of mums may suffer or not a lot. Some mums may suffer from, for example, a UTI or urinary tract infection during pregnancy, and nobody would hesitate to give them an antibiotic while the fetus is still growing in the womb. Yet the same UTI after delivery, there's an issue with giving the same antibiotic. So I think, you know, that, that separation I always found interesting. It's ridiculous too, because there's going to be more of that antibiotic absorbed by the baby when it's in utero versus when it's being breastfed. And there are so many antibiotics that can be used for all kinds of illnesses. Um, The only one, you know, one of the ones that really stands out that can't be used long-term would be a tetracycline, obviously, because of the, but even at that, you know, there are, there are so many alternatives. And I think that What's important is that a woman is given the best advice that she possibly can so she can continue on her breastfeeding journey. So I'm very much a pharmacist that's very into saying what you can take when you breastfeed rather than what you can't. Yeah, and that's a brilliant segue to what I wanted to address next in that maybe we should talk about the common things that people take while they're while they're breastfeeding um, and to try uh, without giving specific advice, I suppose, yeah. to, to try and give a general recommendation on what can and cannot be taken, uh, can and cannot be taken. And at the start, anything topical or eye drops or, um, you know, antifungal creams, antibiotic creams, eye drops, throat sprays, throat sprays are generally completely fine to take while you're breastfeeding. But I have seen mothers being advised that they cannot use an antifungal cream on their skin or eye drops in their eye while they're breastfeeding. Oh, and it's again, just, that gives me rage. Now I'm generally, I'm quite a calm person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I've had women message me and, you know, I can't give specific medical advice on Instagram, but I've had people even come into the pharmacy, say they were, you know, in, in another pharmacy and they had vaginal thrush. And they were told they couldn't use a thrush cream on their genital areas because they were breastfeeding. Like, it's just outrageous. So that was a pharmacist that didn't look it up. Yeah, exactly. Just said, said, no, you can't rather than let let, let me see. It's absolutely perfectly fine to use those topical products like what you suggested. Even the, you know, even for 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 um, fungal nail infections, that the paints and that, you know, so it's just very important to get that information out there that they can absolutely use those products. 
Yeah, and in terms of antifungal ointment, we prescribe antifungal oral gel to babies that have oral thrush. Yeah. Yet the advice given to women that if you use an antifungal cream on another area of your body that you cannot breastfeed, again, that separation from common sense sometimes strikes me yeah, as it being is. quite odd. It is and, a bit silly. And we need to switch our default answer from being no to possibly from being yes with certain caveats in certain situations. Absolutely, 100%. And one of the important caveats I'd like to bring up now and thankfully, we're out of the kind of cold and sniffle season, but we are getting into the allergy season as well. And a lot of mums may want to use decongestants, for example. And the thing to note with decongestants is ones that contain pseudoephedrine mm-hmm. can potentially reduce milk production while while you're using it. So, and the default advice would be not to use it. Yeah. However, I think... People need to be mindful of the fact that these symptoms that these symptoms can be quite severe and occasional use of decongestants that use pseudoephedrine might be okay, but you need to keep an eye on your milk supply. But and there even are, the nasal sprays could be used mo- mo- and they're only lo- acting locally on the nose, so they'd even be they're better again than using an oral tablet. Yeah. Um, the oral tablet as well and a decongestant could maybe cause a little bit of wake- wakefulness or irritability in the baby if it was passed through the milk. So it would just be to, you know, that would be something that I'm sure a lot of mums wouldn't be interested in. But the nasal sprays can be work perfectly fine. Uh, the, the decongestant nasal sprays with the, with the pseudoephedrine in them. Also, the the salt rinses are so good and, and so underrated. Like, I love them for, yeah. for decongestion. decongestion. And even um, short-term use of non-drowsy antihistamines are perfectly fine. And they can be very good for the hay fever season and um, to, to, to decongest a woman ditto the steroid nasal sprays are fine too so it's about knowing where to find the information and 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 getting that right advice isn't it yeah absolutely so just to sort of round that up antihistamines are okay for short-term use the non Um, the non-drowsy ones the non-drowsy ones exactly the um steroid decongestions are generally okay as well Mm -hmm. the decongestions that do not have pseudoephedrine in them in general are are okay to use and then occasional use of the so the de- the decongestants that don't have pseudoephedrine in them are few and far between in Ireland. So you'd be hard pressed to find one. So I think that if you're just using a decongestant nasal spray, that's fine. Um, certainly short term use. And then using the oral tablet, as I said, you probably have to be more careful or avoid use of that and just use the nasal spray. But then use the the saline rinses as well. Yeah, perfect. Moving on to. Analgesics, oh, pain, yeah. painkillers. Again. And they're really important, aren't they? Because just from, you know, headaches, co- coughs, colds, in general use, women would like to be able to take a painkiller. So paracetamol is fine, taken at the normal recommended adult dose. But obviously, if you could use it, you know, the less, the better. Yeah. And then uh, ibuprofen is fine too. Um, aspirin will be out because we wouldn't uh, aspirin in under 16s is not advised because of Ray's syndrome so if there was any kind of possibility of aspirin being passed through the milk that wouldn't be advisable so but for um, analgesics the paracetamol and the ibuprofen are perfect we need to watch out with codeine though Um, and although morphine and pethidine and all of those kind of things can be used post-delivery, particularly with, with cesareans. Actually, pethidine isn't used post-delivery, but you know what I mean? Those 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 um, strong analgesics. If you're breastfeeding, you're generally under the care of a doctor and a team and they're watching you. So coding wouldn't be advised in just picking up a pack OTC and not being under the supervision of a doctor because it can cause lethargy and tiredness and respiratory depression potentially in the baby too. Yeah, and that's a really important point that is worth um, mentioning again is that we... 
as neonatologists or doctors that look after young babies do use opiates mm -hmm. in in our in our day-to-day -day practice like codeine like morphine and also methadone as well yeah however the thing to watch out for is that the baby is monitored very very closely for respiratory depression and the level of oxygen in their blood and they are only generally used for a short duration of time so the mother while in the hospital may be given an opiate containing medication, but the babies are very closely monitored. And the recommendation of not using it at, at the hospital setting is because, like you said, the levels can build up very quickly in breast milk and babies are then not monitored at home. So 100%. The, yeah. So. And then also people don't know whether or not they're fast metabolizers of opioids. And if they are, so if you're a fast metabolizer, there is a percentage of the population that is are fast metabolizers. It means you metabolize it quicker. So if you're a fast metabolizer, it could potentially get into the baby's milk at a very high level very quickly. So we don't want that. So you're best to avoid coding unless you're under the care of a doctor. Yeah. And also um, just whenever you're unsure, please discuss the medications that you're taking with your healthcare provider or your pharmacist. Absolutely. Antibiotics generally are OK, especially the commonly used ones such as penicillins cephalosporins and the macrolides. So these are your penicillins, your keftriaxones, and also, you know, azithromax and azithromycin and things yes, like that. Yes. And, and, and generally, if there's, I think what we need to really be mindful of as well, if there's a child version of a product, that yeah. generally means that it's safe in children. So we need to actually, you know, be careful with the messaging that, and, and, and use logic. Yeah. It's absolutely, it seems outrageous that you would tell a mother she can't use a penicillin antibiotic of breastfeeding when there's penicillin antibiotics available for children. For babies, exactly. Yeah. And we use we use them in babies quite regularly yeah. as well. And I suppose one um, recommendation that doesn't have a huge amount of evidence behind it, but I think is worth trying, is when you are taking an antibiotic, um, you may consider giving your baby a probiotic at the time because a small amount of the antibiotic does go into the breast milk and it may slightly alter or change the gut flora in mm -hmm. the baby. Um, it may change the consistency of their stool or their poos. Now, that does not happen commonly or regularly, but it, it may happen sometimes. And there is some evidence suggesting that a probiotic may help alleviate those symptoms. Yeah, sooner. absolutely. Yeah. But the recommendation is do not stop breastfeeding if you are taking an antibiotic while breastfeeding. Yeah, and I think, you know, with the current, I suppose, lack of information about medication, my issue with this, and that's why I talk about it so much on my own Instagram, is that it further boxes breastfeeding moms away into a, oh, you can't do this or you can't do that. You can't go to the wedding because you can't drink. You can't, you know, take medication to help your raging headache because you're breastfeeding. We should be empowering these women. Yes. Give to, them the information. Absolutely. And they can make their own decisions based on evidence-based information. Yeah. You're right. Um, keep telling women what they cannot do with, <laughs> and not thinking that maybe we should just provide unbiased information yes. so that people can make their own choices, yeah. you know, based on evidence. Um, so those are usually the regular medications that people kind of take day to day. And anything beyond that, I think it's important to talk with the your main healthcare provider about mm -hmm. the benefits versus risks of taking a medication while you're breastfeeding. Having said that, there is usually always an alternative medication to your to your condition that is compatible with breastfeeding and it just needs a little bit of digging and research to try and find a suitable alternative. Absolutely. Women with psychiatric illness, women with diabetes, women with long-term other autoimmune disorders. There is 
generally a pathway that you can take with your healthcare provider to make sure that you can happily breastfeed as well as looking after yourself. So that's important. Yeah, perfect. I suppose it's worth mentioning alcohol and breastfeeding because mm-hmm. you sort of brought that up. What is the recommendation? So the recommendation is that you can, a woman can drink occasional small amounts of alcohol while she's breastfeeding without worry. There's a difference between a small occasional glass of wine and binge drinking, which is more than six units in one go. Generally, if a woman has a drink, the blood alcohol levels have reached its peak within 30 to 90 minutes of her taking that drink. And generally within about two to three hours, the, that, that alcohol has cleared itself from her blood blood supply anyway. So uh, breast breast milk levels are very similar to blood levels. So if a woman has a drink, she could just, you know, then abstain from breastfeeding for a couple of hours or three hours and then breastfeed her baby again. There's no need to pump and dump in that situation. She can you know, enjoy her drink. I think it's important for women to know that even with one drink, you should not sleep with your baby or fall asleep with your baby in your arms if you're on a couch or that. And just to be mindful of the fact that you could be a little bit tipsy, certainly if you're tired and, you know, looking after baby is is a full-time task. So to be mindful of that too. But this idea of you cannot, you absolutely can't enjoy a glass of wine or or a drink of your choice while you're breastfeeding is, is not the case at all. Yeah, and I think that's a very good recommendation. And generally, the recommendation is allow two hours per one unit of drink that you're consuming. So if you have, and people can go and look up what a unit means, but generally a small glass of wine or a measure of spirits. Yeah. Um, But if you're drinking maybe two glasses of wine in a sitting, then you need to allow four hours. Exactly. Yes, that's important. Or, you know, just drink it very, you can drink it very slowly, but just to make sure that 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 two hours is, is allowed for. Yeah. And generally it is recommended to avoid alcohol during the first month after delivery while you're establishing breastfeeding for a couple of reasons. Baby's feeding behavior tends to be more erratic. So you may drink a glass of wine and then find that your baby's hungry, you know, an hour. <laughs> They're little an deals, hour, Exactly, they? an hour after. So an hour, I'd say tw- every 20 yeah, minutes, I'd mine on top so, of me. Exactly. So, you know, drinking in the first month is probably not advisable because of that. And secondly, alcohol may actually reduce milk production. So... Mm-hmm. If breastfeeding is not yet established, drinking alcohol may actually reduce your chances of exclusively breastfeeding down the line because it may actually lower um, milk supply. Okay. So it's just to be mindful of that. Yeah. And just to say that the HSC actually has a very good website. If you look up alcohol while breastfeeding, HSC, you'll get a really good breakdown of what is advisable and not advisable to do while you're breastfeeding. Yeah, it's great. Also, the Breastfeeding Network Drugs Facts Sheets are great too, so people can refer to them also. Brilliant. I want to briefly talk about galactagogues and, you know, things that are out there that may increase your milk production. And I want to hear your views on it, especially those um, lactation cookies that I'm hearing a lot about these days. What are your feelings on them? What's in lactation cookies? It's all kinds of things, isn't it? Like fenugreek and things like that. Yeah. You know, look, I think that sometimes that those anecdotal evidence, if if they work for people, great. But I don't think there's hard line evidence for that. Yeah. Um. I think that really the thing that really boosts milk supply is rest. And, you know, I hear the collective laughing. Yeah. Are you joking me? <clears throat> yeah. Rest while I have a newborn. But I think you need to prioritize your rest over anything, over your housework, over visitors, over anything. And if you can get your baby minded while you sleep or if you can sleep with your baby, if, if you're co-sleeping with your baby whenever you can. And I know people say, oh, yeah, they always say sleep with your baby. But 
rest and good food and not trying to lose weight and not trying to exercise, you know, straight off the bat is actually the best galactagogue that you can have. Yeah. Um, I know that Matilium has been used previously. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? So what I would generally say about galactagogues is that should, they should not be a replacement to good breastfeeding support from mm-hmm. the community or a lactation consultant or your breastfeeding group, because that is the best way of ensuring that you maintain a milk supply or increase a milk supply when you have issues with low milk supply. Yeah. In fact, there has been a recent large study demonstrating that these lactation cookies have no real um, effect yeah. on, on milk supply. And I think they're, they mostly contain different kind of herbal remedies such yeah. as fenugreek and they have found that um, uh, they have no effect. My main issue with them, to be honest with you, Laura, is, is, is the price. So, you know, industry always finds a way to exploit either mothers that are formula feeding and now mothers that are breastfeeding are being targeted with these cookies that may cost as much as 12 euro per cookie. What? Um, oh my goodness. With, with, uh, with the kind of promise that it yeah. may boost your milk supply. So just to be mindful of that. Yeah. Just I have a normal cookie instead. Absolutely. Pay, pay the, you know? A normal digestive. Yeah. And look, the reality is, is the more rest a mum gets and the more support a mum gets. Yeah the better her breastfeeding journey will be and the better her milk supply will be. Like we all know anyone that's breastfed out there that our milk supply dwindles by the evening time. That seems to be when the baby wants you the most and is is more fussy. But that's general baby behaviour. They just want to be on top of their mum and they might be sucking and you may not be supplying what you think is enough milk, but they're getting what they need, the little drips that are coming out. So I think that there's an overemphasis on milk supply. I think that if your baby is happy and well and generalized fussiness in a baby is is totally normal that they they want your attention they they were designed to have the full attention of their mum and and now their dad obviously is you know it's important to get dads in the mix too but generally by their primary care so fussy babies that just want to be held and rocked and 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 put to the breast on a really regular basis is completely normal because if we weren't like that and that babies weren't born that way. We would have left them in the caves when we were stone age women and we would have gone out to, to forage and we would have come back and our babies would have been eaten by little small animals or big animals as, as it might seem. They were born to be on top of us. Certainly from a very from 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 when they were first born, right up until, you know, their first birthday almost. And yeah. and the idea of a, of a, of someone saying, Your baby's spoilt or put that baby down or, you know, it's just, it isn't in our DNA. It isn't in a baby's DNA. We've come a long way societally, you know, as in career women and well-educated women and we're having babies later. But babies haven't changed their um, their brains or their makeup. They're born to be fussy and to be on top of mum all the time. Yeah, and I mean, that, that that's a great piece of advice. And it's one thing that I wanted to ask you about specifically as well. And I'll... And, and I'll tell you why in a second, but this societal expectation that a baby should be regimented very, very early on is causing, I think, a lot of anguish, anxiety. It's not good for mums, not good for dads, not good for parents. And and most importantly, it's not good for babies either. Babies are designed to be very close to their mums for the first year and even beyond. And I, and I remember hearing a really nice quote from somebody um, saying that a baby's habitat is their mother's body. So they need to actually be close to you they need to be held, they need to be comforted. And all the studies show that this does not make them more anxious or more dependent later on in life. In fact, the opposite is true. 
Yeah, sure. Even I'm sure like with, with little premies in their incubators, they thrive much better when their mums or dads are beside them, touching them and they're, they're born to be touched. Oh, absolutely. They're born to be on top of us. Yeah. And that's why those little slings are great. They may not be great for our backs, but yeah. when they're close and can hear your heartbeat, that's when, yeah. Yeah. you know, that's uh, what they and, love. And, and skin to skin, um, where the baby's actually um, in kangaroo care, very close to their mums, um, has been shown scientifically to reduce the duration of hospital stay, to reduce the amount of infections they may encounter. They'll gain weight better, they'll regulate their temperature better, and their heart rate is more steady. So, you know, there is actually scientific proof for preterm babies. Yeah, you're you know? making me really broody now talking about the babies on top of your chest. I just love, you know, when they're put on top of you. So my youngest was 10 yesterday. Oh my oh, goodness, wow. I yeah. know. Yeah. And... um and or 10 on Friday and um, I just remember them all they're like little kittens the way they like mule on top of you and they put yeah. you I just I loved that but you know yeah you're making me really broody well the solution to that is, is get a miniature Yorkie which is what I did you know okay. the, yeah. <laughs> that is a good idea that, actually, that really it? that really killed yeah that really kills the broodiness straight away okay. me, especially when they're barking at 3 a.m you know um I wanted to ask you actually about you're a very busy person and how did you manage to balance doing everything that you do and also having the kids around and I don't want this question to come up to come out as, as a sexist question oh yeah because I mean you know support. but it's the real it's a real question yeah you know and, and it, the reality is the mother does most of the caregiving in, yeah. in a lot of relationships so so I, I don't take it as sexist at all sorry finish your question I, yeah that, that, that's my question is okay. I mean what advice would you give mothers I mean you, you've breastfed all your babies and you've done so much in your career and everything. So yeah. how do you strike that balance? So I suppose when I was back breastfeeding my babies, I wasn't as busy as I am now in my career. Um, and, you know, I really wanted to breastfeed my babies because as I, as I said at the start, I came from, my mother was a midwife. So all I heard about was breastfeeding. Um, not in a, in a, you should do this way, but just in a, how she breastfed and we were all breastfed and I was the eldest. So I saw her breastfeed all, all of us. And then also my aunties, you know, we come from, I've come, even though I have three boys, I come from a family of loads of women. So my aunties all breastfed. I saw that when I was younger. I saw it um, with my cousins who were older than me. So I, I come from a family. I think that that, that kind of support and community is lovely because it's almost like it's in your DNA then. So I think it's more difficult for women that don't come from families of breastfeeding to, because it's, it's, it's something new to them. They haven't seen it before. So when I was breastfeeding my babies, I wasn't as busy as I am now, um, and I did just like I, I breastfed them. I I just sat in bed and breastfed them. Certainly from the first you know few days. I remember the community midwife coming because I did the community midwife scheme with the um, with Hollow Street with all three, and I remember her coming and her saying to my husband, "Now you feed Laura, and Laura will feed the baby." And that was done for the first you know few days even. But I just carried the baby around me all the time. I didn't have any of this. I did buy the Gina Ford book because I had a really fussy first baby. Um, and I thought this will be the answer to all my prayers because one of my friends had done the Gina Ford and swore by it. Now she had bottle fed and I think it's easier in a bottle fed baby. I couldn't even do it for like two hours because it, it's all feed, put the baby down. I just couldn't do that. So I just, you know, literally carried the baby around me all the time, fed him when I thought he was hungry um, which I thought all the time, you know, he was generally attached to me all the time. 
Um, my husband's favourite expression to me with all three, even when they were like two, was hand him over to me. I think he's hungry. I think he's hungry whenever <laughs> he'd cry. So so those were the baby's younger years. I suppose as I've as they've got older and my career has changed and got busier, um, I suppose I, I have the mum guilt in terms of I feel that sometimes I could be, you know, more present with them. But then since I left the pharmacy back in May 2022 to start my own business, I have been able to etch out that time that I probably wouldn't have been able to because I would have been in the dispensary nine to seven, four days a week. And then I come home and I'm wrecked. But now I can I can be home in the afternoon with the boys, do a little bit of homework, make them their dinner, and then I can go back to work then when they have their training and things like that. So it's a bit easier for me now that they're older. Um, what I will say to women out there is to don't look at what anyone else is doing because it all, you know, you're only seeing, you're seeing a very filtered version of people on, on Instagram. I don't document, you know, when I argue with my husband, I don't document when I'm, I'm feeling, you know, down in the dumps. Well, well, I would talk about it a little bit just so everyone knows that kind of it, it's normal, but you know, times are tough and it's tough being a parent. Certainly in this day and age, you know, I have already confiscated one of their phones there the weekend and they're begging me for it back. But it, it is tough. And I think that we all, we're all, if we just know that we're all just doing our best and if our kids feel loved and supported. And I think that mums feel they have to do so much for their kids, but the kids just want you to be there with them. I watched Casualty with them last night and they were delighted with themselves. You know, you don't need to take them to the cinema. You don't need to take them for all these trips. You don't need to spend loads of money on them. I think that they're just happy for you to be present with them, aren't they? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, that was a lovely thing to, I suppose, come to the end of the podcast um, with. And just on that, I'm beginning to spend a lot more time with my son, who's now 12, packing, um, you know, um, some of my orders from through the art business. And he loves doing it. He looks forward to it. He's yeah. so happy when a new order comes in because he's like, wow, I get to wrap and spend time with you. And you know what? All we do is then chat about other things while we're doing it and spending time together. And that's the quality time I think that you're talking about. A hundred percent. Doing something to justify them being with you, but you're actually are doing so much more. Exactly. That. Like doing the baking or the cooking. Like I've always let my boys cook. They make an absolute mess, but I've always let them help me cook. As a result, you, you, you're, you're bringing up kids that are kind of self-sufficient too. Um, but also you spending that time cooking, you're talking about other things. And even like what you say, working. So my kids, all they've heard for the last, you know, few years is Fabio. But like that, if they're helping me with something, then and we're, we're chatting away while we're doing it and we're spending that quality time. So I don't, I think that sometimes we think scheduled time, money spent is the best, but actually just being there with them is, is actually, I think certainly, and I know from feedback from my kids, that's all they want, you know? Yeah. Well, listen, Thank you so much. And um, this is a great way, I think, to end the interview on. Um, I just wanted to say that I actually found you an inspiration and you've inspired me to start this podcast with Katie. So thank you very much for it. Um, you're an amazing person. And I hope that people have, I'm sure they have learned from 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 this episode tonight, uh, today. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. And likewise, an inspiration. And I'm delighted. It's brilliant. We did a lovely podcast together as yeah, well. And absolutely. It's, it's, it's lovely to just have these lovely chats, isn't it? And yeah. to, even if you <clears throat> touch one person by it. Yeah. And listen, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> When choosing your antenatal care journey, you need a team that you can trust. Here at Evie, we offer personalised, multidisciplinary care in a state-of-the-art environment. 
ranging from consultant care, high-end scanning and prenatal testing, to expert advice on diet, exercise and mental health. Our team of world-class consultants in obstetrics, gynaecology and paediatrics provide the highest standards of care for you and your baby. Contact us today on 01 293 3984 or visit our website at ev.ie for more information. Evie, a game changer in antenatal care. Wow, Afif, that was just absolutely amazing. I have to say, I find Laura myself very relatable as a mother and as a businesswoman. And all her topics that she discusses regarding breastfeeding, they're all factually based and research based. And she is just a fountain of knowledge when it comes to breastfeeding and medications. Also, I love her style as a mother. She's all about responsive parenting, keeping your baby nice and close. And that means so much to a lot of mothers struggling in those early days thinking that the baby should be put down and the baby just wanting to be close. So really well done. A fantastic episode, Laura and Afif. Great. Thank you very much, Katie. And this is all from today's episode. Hope to see you next time. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday, Afif.